Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. I'm not going to lie to you, boys and girls. That thing you hear is some uh, pretty intense fatigue in my voice, but it's well-earned because if you're within the sound of it, that must mean you are in the seats with once more. As always, my name is Dave Voigt, and I'm the host of this podcast, where we sit down with a wide-ranging variety of entertainment industry professionals who pick their brain about current projects, state of the industry, how they got started, and so very much more, in a light and in a conversational fashion. And you know, if you like how we do things around here, I'm going to go out on that limb and assume that you do, because, quite frankly, you're listening. You're here. And if you are, subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Give us the old five-star rating on your podcast provider of choice. We're available pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Google. And plus, we archive every single one of our episodes over at our In The Seats YouTube channel. So if you can give us a like and subscribe there as well, we'd absolutely appreciate it. Also, don't hesitate to check us out on the social media. We're on the Facebook. We're on the Twitter. We're on the Instagram. We're on the Letterboxd. We're on the TikTok. And, well, we're probably at a few other places, too. And In The Seats for all sorts of fun updates. And finally, and I do dare say most importantly, please pay us a visit over at In The Seats, intheseats.ca, for all the latest and greatest from the world of film, television, basically the moving image at large, because guess what? If we love to watch it and write about it and talk about it, we'd love it even more when you come by and read about it and listen about it. So please do us that kindness and pay us a visit. On this episode, you you bet you you guessed it. We are still in the thick of the Toronto International Film Festival. There is a few days left, or a couple days left. Uh, so head on out if you want to go see uh, a vast selection of cinema. But uh, as always, during a festival like this, we get the unique pleasure of sitting down with filmmakers and people and talking to them. And one of them is the one and only Jasmine Musfari, uh, who you may whose name you may remember. Uh, from her film uh, Firecrackers, which came out a few years, a couple of years back, uh, and she is back with a short film in the festival. It's called Motherland, uh, and it's the story of a man whose personal crises are compounded by the tensions that surround him as an Iranian in America, circa nineteen seventy nine. It's obviously a personal story. Uh, Jasmine is of Iranian descent, but it's also uh, it's really well done. It's a gripping little piece of cinema. Uh, and we had the unique pleasure of sitting down and talking with Jasmine about that, the origins of it all, and so very much more. But uh, support short film at the end of the day. It's important. It matters. It's such a great tool for filmmakers. And, you know, get up to TIFF, watch something. Again, and, and it's important, too. You know, support cinema in all of its forms. Don't go see the ho- necessarily just see the Hollywood stuff. See some other fun stuff, too, you know. But first, enjoy our talk with Jasmine, because uh, between you and me, it's a darn good one. All right, well, Jasmine, just first off, I mean, thank you so much for the time today. I appreciate this. Thank you for having me. Now, I guess walk, like my first question, I love the short, obviously, but but I mean, walk me through the origin of wanting to tell this story. Um, so this story comes from my parents. It's their story. Um, they are, you know, the couple in the film is based right off of my father and my mom. Um, but mostly my dad, because he came from Iran right around the time of the Iranian revolution and was in Massachusetts, not Iowa. But he, you know, eventually came to Canada. And one of the reasons why he came to Canada was because of this uh, kind of terrible event that happened and he felt threatened and he was in danger a little bit based on like 
the threats from other students. And there was, you know, the risk of being deported because Jimmy Carter was contemplating that. So I kind of was thinking about his journey. And then also my mom, like eventually when they did get together, uh, my grandpa, who is a German immigrant, wouldn't speak to my mom for two years once she knew she was going to marry an Iranian. So um, all of that came into play. And I think just for me, in a personal like career and filmmaking interest standpoint, I wanted to start representing my own people in my stories. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and try out some different filmmaking things that I haven't really done before. So that's kind of the genesis of it. Well, I guess that dovetails into my next question. Like whose whose closet did you have to raid to basically do a period piece? Because I mean, you did a very good job. It looked very authentic. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, quite a lot of money, you know, this was like funded by arts council, two different arts councils and out of my own pocket from all the TV directing I've done, I was able to actually contribute financially to it. But I worked with a costume designer I worked with on Firecrackers, Mara Ziegler, who's like CSA nominated and like has a good eye. And I think with all the departments, you know, um, we were all born well after the 70s, but we had this um, mission to make sure that nothing looked like a bad imitation of the 70s because it's easy to do. Um, So we really were very like very strict about it you know and like everything needed to feel authentic the references were my own parents pictures and pictures from that time um in iowa in 79 so they this was all direct influence from there um so i think that's why i think that's why it was successful and then shooting on film helps too well no absolutely and i mean because i mean there's particularly like there's moments in the middle of the film where like it's a moment of tension and and I mean, I appreciated how you used like space rather than music or sort of overtone to like sort of create tension. It just we felt the tension from a visual standpoint. Like how important was it for you to try to tell this story, not just, you know, narratively, but I mean, visually as well? Yeah, I think you bring up a good point because I'm so interested in tension in all my work. I think like that's what drives drama is tension. So um Visually, like we referenced me and Farhad Hadari, who's um, Iranian Mexican DP. Um, we referenced our main references were American 70s cinema rather than yeah. looking at Iranian cinema because we considered that a little bit. Um, but we felt that because it takes place in America, we really wanted to evoke the feeling of the 70s. And I realized the way to do that is, of course, kind of. Um, through referencing visuals that you would have seen in like Serpico in um, Dog Day Afternoon, which was a huge visual influence. And there's a lot of tension in that movie too, the whole way through. So um, that was kind of, you know, for me also like departing from Firecrackers, which was almost all handheld. This was a lot more controlled. I wanted to kind of, um, you know, look at framing people, in a steady way but you know kind of decide when it should be handheld when should it be a slow pan because there's a lot of pans in the 70s there's a lot of long lenses so we kind of drew from that um but I think the script is where I think the tension was born yeah um more than anything and then of course having the having some talented actors be able to like like even John Ralston who's um a Canadian legend himself like hop onto this film and be able to lend himself to those scenes no, I mean you've got an, a fantastic, sorry, a fantastic group of actors in this, and I mean it's one of those things where, as a viewer, I was so 
immersed in the moment. I mean, and like we said, visually, like I even saw a little bit of parallax, like with the, like the use of space and sort of framing and long lens. When you were putting this together and getting your actors, it definitely felt like they needed to be 100% on board with the the tension that you were trying to portray. Yeah. Because this could have just been a straight narrative. This could have been something else. But we needed to feel that undercurrent of tension in, in everyone's performance. Like, how big was that for you, especially early in the early stages? Because, I mean, again, this is a this is a short with little to no money. So you don't exactly have rehearsal time. Yeah, we did, especially for me, like other than TV, I don't, I haven't worked with actor actors a lot uh, or yeah. union actors, not because I don't want to. It's, it was like a budget thing back in the day. And of course, yeah. Um, now um, I was very adamant that, you know, I'm just going to get the people I want. And if they're union, we're going to have to make that work. So I asked for one rehearsal day um, for uh, the lead who's Betosh and um, Oriana who plays Katie and then also John Ralston. So there was a little bit of rehearsal, um, mostly just to build um, for the couple to build a backstory, which I do with all my films. I always like build a backstory with improv exercises and then that can help create some um, history for the actors. Um, but then I think, you know, like people like John Ralston who plays the dad, Werner, like he is like a theater trained actor and he really mm -hmm. just relies on the words, except and also Niaz Salimi who plays the mom on the phone. She's a theater actor from Iran. So it's like, they really just depend on the words most more than anything. And I think, um, you know, for, for Betosh, who's the lead, like he, he, his, he's an Iranian refugee for, in real life. So he can kind of, it's so easy for him to embody that character. It's not so different than his own experience, um, even though he's, you know, was born in the late eighties. So it's, sure. I think that all helps with the tension, but I think it's also me creating an environment for people that they can react in a real way. So it feel like the tension can be relatable to an audience. I hope. For sure. Now this feels like a dumb question, but it's one I always like to ask. You've done shorts, you've done TV, you've done features. How does the job on your end shift and transition? Because, I mean, while there's similarities, I've got to imagine there are some distinct differences at the same time. Yeah. it's. I would say the biggest differences between TV and, and um, my own films. Between shorts and features, they're very similar. They're just different lengths of time that you're filming. Right. Um, but TV, the reason why I even made this is because I had been working in TV for a while, trying to establish my directing career after Firecrackers. Cause right. it takes some years to do that. Um, but it kind of sucked the creative soul out of me because it's not my, it's not my words. It's not my right. story. It's, it's a showrunner's medium, writer's medium. And um, I'd also worked on some pretty tough shows with some pretty tough showrunners. And I felt like it's time for me to go back and make my own, like, make sure I'm not losing my own voice. So I think the biggest difference is that I, you know, I can foster a certain like atmosphere on set that I hope is really empathetic and supportive, which I don't find TV has a lot of. And I think also it's just my vision versus um, a showrunner's vision. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm sick a little bit today. No, understood. Understood. Mm -hmm. um, I think, yeah, I think that's the biggest difference is just you get to listen to your own instinct and you don't have to like have somebody in your ear being like well tell them to say the line that way or what you know it's you don't have that and that was so freeing 
for me to finally come back to my own voice yeah and my own instinct without having it be questioned by four producers and a showrunner and a, you know all that so for sure yeah is there anything though about the higher good experience that you can take back to when you make your own stuff sure i think like in a tv atmosphere speed is the name of the game especially in canadian tv that when you don't have a lot of money right. but they still want you know a lot of content shot in a small amount of days you have to be so fast and economical with your shots so i i still was able to take that into motherland in terms of like how to get coverage in a really quick amount of time um and with one camera because with tv you're shooting with two cameras so that helped me you know really think about how to be economical with my storyboards with my shot list because I have to be with TV um and then also just be like a really clear communicator because in it, no matter what film you're making you should be like that but with TV you're expected like you have to be clear with every department like you have, you just you have to really be prepared and on top of it um so yeah it, I took that into this for sure. sure for sure now I'm curious for your perspective on something because I mean obviously you're playing at a festival like TIFF. And let's face it, sometimes shorts don't always get the love that, you know, they deserve. Yeah. But it does feel like, given sort of the TikTok-tokification of, of the, the age of media these days, that that short-form content seems to be a little bit more acceptable. And, I mean, I'm kind of curious, from your perspective, why is the short form as vital as, you know, at least people at festivals and people like myself think that it is? That's a good question. Um, I think it's like totally different to tell a story in a short amount of time versus an hour and a half or two hours. It's a, it's a hard skill. I actually find it harder than, than doing a feature um, in terms of the script writing, the storytelling of it. Um, I think that, you know, I, 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 they're so different. It's hard to also like think about like TikTok, which I watch lots of. Like I, I, well, we all get sucked into our reels and TikTok. Yeah, 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 for sure it exactly. happens. Yeah, exactly. I think it has something to do with attention span too. Like, yeah, our attention spans, at least for me, have unfortunately been affected by phone usage and 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 bite sized content. So, um, Perhaps that's why it's still important, but I, I do think you're right. Like, I think no matter what shorts are always going to be kind of a hard sell for people to watch at a festival. Like it's, it's even, you know, when people are like, I don't know if I'll make it to your film. I'm like, it's okay. Go see the features. Like I understand <laughs> like, um, yeah. So I, yeah, I think, I think they're important. They're more important to the filmmakers, I think than anything else, because it's a way either when you're starting out as a way to like, show your voice to the world for the first time if it's at a festival and for me for somebody who's already done a few things it's a way to keep practicing it's like to keep that keep, muscle keep, keep the tool sharp exactly yeah no i love i love that perspective on it and i mean i definitely think that's a vital thing and because i mean when you really go back to the history of of cinema there are so many important storytellers who have been out there who have worked in the short form and made short films and made some really fantastic short films as well. And I mean, it's such a good proving ground and launching pad to just find that next stage. But at least now at the same time, it almost feels like you can make a little bit of money with, I mean, not necessarily a lot of money, but yeah, 
short film isn't necessarily a bottomless pit of money anymore. Like you can at least kind of recoup costs and sell it and do something with it. Yes. We've gone to a different stage with that. And I think that's a fantastic thing. Yeah, I agree. Cause even like I had my first short at TIFF 10 years ago with firecrackers, the short film, and it feels like such a different experience 10 years later. Like there's so much more platform for the shorts yeah. filmmakers. And, right. um, and like you said, you can sell it. There's sales agents that are reaching, reaching out to us now about it. And that never happened before. So, um, that's good. I'm happy about that. It's a good uh, evolution. No, amen to that. But I mean, Jasmine, just, you know, congrats on the work. I definitely think it's a, like, it was a really powerful piece of cinema. I enjoyed the hell out of it, but thank you. you know, keep the tool sharp and uh, thank you thank again you. for the time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, David. It's nice speaking to you again. Always for sure. Absolutely. And don't forget to, to visit our friends over at Bay Street Video for all your DVD, Blu-ray rental or purchasing needs this summer as they are still open for curbside and some mailing delivery as well. Over at 1172 Bay Street, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, you can give them a call at 416-964-9088. That's 416-964-9088. Or send them an email at baystreetvideoto at gmail.com for any of your DVD and Blu-ray needs.